Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the east end of Long Island. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. And we are recording. We're back again. Recording. Hey, everybody. Hope everyone's doing well. Hey, writer of the year. Uh, what? I said, hey, writer of the year. Congratulations. Hey, thanks. That was a kind of shock. Yeah, congratulations. Awesome. Wow. I never figured I would win that because, you know, I don't really write a lot of new stuff. I'm like all kind of arts and culture. And I just figured I just never had the the, the depth of coverage to to win that award. So I think it's long overdue. Just so people understand, uh, and that Hinkle was named the New York Press Association Writer of the Year for 2020. Is it 2021 or 2022? It was for last year's papers. 21. It's yeah, it's for the. It was last year. Yeah, yeah. But then I also wonder, you know, like in the midst of a pandemic, where they're like only like four people entered. You know. No. Oh, great writer. I want numbers. I want to know how legit this thing is. But Annette, you didn't just beat the people who entered. You beat everyone who was too. Yeah, scared to end. that's a great way to look <laughs> that's at exactly it. Exactly true. There you go. You intimidated everybody else. That's right. I guess. I guess my shot at the Olympics isn't like too far gone now. Then, <laughs> or that Nobel Prize I've been after. <laughs> so. We are lucky to have you, and uh, we obviously have several people who've won that award. Steve Coates, uh, Michelle Trarings won it, uh, but uh, a couple times, right? Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. We'll make that another podcast for another time. Uh, yes. So, uh, so back with us again today is Bill Sutton manning the record button. Hey, Bill. Hi, Annette. I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group. And also here is Brendan J. O'Reilly. Hey, Brendan. Hi, I'm Brendan. I am the deputy managing editor. And Joseph Shaw is in the house, in his house, I should say. Hey, Joseph. <laughs> It's the only house I'm in most of the time. Hi, I'm Joe Shaw. I'm the executive editor of the Express News Group. And I'm Annette Hinkle, and I am the arts and living editor of the Express News Group. And also joining us today is special guest, Peter Booty. Um, Peter has a long and fabled career in East End journalism, and he's joining us from his abode in North Haven, which looks a lot like those like fancy libraries that you see on MSNBC. You know, when those historians give those perspective, that's what it looks like. Yeah. Strictly a prop. I'm in a laundry room. <laughs> That's like a blue screen behind you. Yeah, it's like it's like the fireplace with all of the the well thumbed novels and and um, books on the wall and on the shelves. I like people to think I actually actually read yeah. those books. So I, I, I hope you got that impression. Uh, it's, it's only I'll a model, it. as they say in the Holy Grail. <laughs> yeah. Hi, Peter. Uh, hi, it's good to be here. Thank you for asking me to join you. Yeah, this will be this will be fun if you think ticks are fun. Um, so we're talking about ticks today because it's just the the subject that keeps on giving. And um, you know, it's it, with climate change and ticks not really dying off in the winter like they used to. There's been a lot of fears of the tick-borne illnesses increasing on the east end and in fact they have i think we've seen a lot of new ones in addition used to be just you know run-of-the-mill lyme disease and now we've got all sorts of things circulating out there so um peter a few weeks ago you wrote a story for the paper about the four poster system that north haven had employed and this is a system where deer feed in these stations they put corn in the stations attract the deer which are big carriers of the ticks and um as the deer put their heads through these feeders, they get this, is it permethrin? Is that how we say it? Yes, it is. Yep. Permethrin, which is a, a ticicide onto their necks. And that is um, a, a real place where ticks tend to congregate on deer. And um, it, it kills off the ticks and that keeps them from spreading the disease to humans. Um, but I wondered if you wanted to bring us up to date about that North Haven program and sort of a little history of it and where we are now with the, um, execution of this plan and these tick, sta tick stations around North Haven? Well, there's a big bump in the road for the North Haven's program of uh, dis deploying these four posters on what is essentially an island or it's a peninsula if you count the uh, Long Beach connection to the rest of the East End. 
so on the North Haven Peninsula, they got up to, I think it was 14 or 15 of these units arrayed around. And uh, for the first time, you know, it hasn't been very scientifically documented what the impact of these things was until the village board uh, invited uh, the guy that runs the, the, the bow hunt in North Haven, uh, which is a special hunting program uh, that relies on nuisance permits and you know pretty much expert bow hunters from all over the island who this guy, John, I've just forgotten his last name. It's, it's a little bit like La Rochette, but that's not right. Uh, I ran late this morning and I was hoping to read a couple of things real quickly to remind myself. So forgive me if it's I- Roch it's, Ro it's Rochetta. Thank you, Rochetta. Yes. For looking that yes. up. Um, he told the board that his hunters who hunt all over Long Island, nowhere else have they experienced the absence of ticks mm. the way they do on North Haven. When they go into brushy fields, when they go into semi-wooded areas, uh, nothing else was like what North Haven was like in terms of tick exposure, almost zero. So when did they and first was, deploy these, Peter? Can I ask when they first put the state, the feeding stations uh, out? Uh, again, I'm a little shaky because I've been away for two months and, and haven't refreshed my memory, but uh, I believe it's seven or eight years they started deploying these. And they were a little hesitant at first because it's expensive. You have to get special DEC permission to deploy them. Citizens can't go buy a four poster and put them out in the yard. Uh, the, uh, the DEC uh, uh, regulations for them don't allow that. It has to be a municipality. So you have to jump through hoops to even get the permission. You have to have a, a designated licensed manager who has a DEC approval to manage these things. It's fairly costly. I think the village was spending, again, this number is very rough, but somewhere around $70,000, $75,000, which for North Haven is a big chunk of change. That's to, to pay for the corn that's being put into the pay for the corn. Well, to buy the units, mm -hmm. they're about 500 each. They're basically plastic and they're a bin that holds corn and feeds it to two buckets. And around each bucket are these, they're literally vertical paint rollers that have to be manually saturated with the permethrin solution. And deer, as you said, are one of the prime hosts for ticks. If, if a tick can get on a big mammal, that's what they want to do. And so they get a lot more ticks than a mouse or a I mean, they're like tick sweepers and the ticks have a tendency to migrate to the ears and the neck because uh, I think it's uh, easier to to get a meal at that point. And uh, it's sort of fleshy and I don't know what I'm talking about. So I better just share that. <laughs> lots, of, lots of veins, that's and where they veins go. of arteries. <laughs> that's, that's where, where they go. I would and, bite a deer if I was looking for a blood meal. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And when, when I was covering this for the Shelter Island Reporter, uh, when, when this big experiment on the four poster took place, uh, much to the DEC's annoyance uh, about 15 years ago, um, uh, the scientists who invented the four posters came to town and did a lot of demonstrations about what they were all about and how they worked. And one of the things they showed were photos of deer with these crusts of ticks. Yeah around their heads and neck. So if you can get permethrin on those ticks and do it over the course of two or three years, you crash the population of ticks in, a, in about a, you know, I don't know what the number is again, but uh, a pretty effective range away from each four poster unit. And if you have enough of them scattered around and kill enough ticks or prevent a new life cycle, is what it's really all about uh, for another generation of ticks. You, you begin to actually erode the tick population down. Do we think it was successful in North Haven because of the geography, because it's, because it's a, a peninsula and and you know, and you're not you're not getting the, the animals aren't aren't getting off the peninsula type thing. 
That's a great question. And it came up uh, on Shelter Island, which is where the big experiment was done. And for that big experiment, which was run by Cornell uh, Cooperative Extension, um, uh, North Haven was the test. Uh, what's the word? Uh, was the test site where he said- The they, pilot, like a pilot program. Well, no, it's the, you know, you, you, do, you do the experiment in one place and then you don't do it in another place Oh, oh, and, I, and yeah. see what the difference is. And uh, because, yes, North Haven is very similar. It's smaller, but it's very similar topographically. Control. It's it, the control. control. Right, yes. Thank you. I had, to, I had to think for a second. Well, I guess we yeah, should have yeah, called yeah. somebody from MIT to be on this uh, podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the, the thing that interests me is uh, the DEC remains quite resistant to these things, even though. Yeah, and, and Pete, I wanted to jump in and ask you about that. Do, do I understand it correctly that the DEC's opposition to this is so we know that these things work? Um, and we know that North Haven had something like 17 of them, I think, deployed in 2019. So if you do a bunch of them, you can really make a, a, a difference in a, in, a, in a confined area, at least in a, in a larger area. So we know they work. The DEC's opposition to this, am I correct that it's really just rooted in the idea of baiting deer into the four poster things? And, and that's it's because the DEC is opposed to baiting deer for hunting purposes that for some reason that seems to be transferring over to these. Well, I think uh, baiting is a big, big problem uh, for the DEC. It, it's illegal to bait deer. Uh, uh, so I think the answer to your question is yes, I don't think it's the only issue, uh, but uh, the DEC is adamantly against baiting deer. I think a big part of its inflexibility may have to do with what I wonder might be the case that the bureaucracy of the DEC up in Albany is uh, highly uh, allied with the hunting community. And hunters, uh, at least my experience on Shelter Island with hunters there was they didn't want anything to do with a four poster because they'd poison the deer, they said. Uh, there were studies that showed no trace of permethrin in taken deer. And also in terms of the permethrin's impact on the environment, unlike spraying your yard, which everybody and his brother does, including me, I hate to say it, uh, there was a trace of permethrin in the soil scattered around the very base of each four poster because you know some corn would get scattered around while the deer were eating it. And also it does get raided by squirrels and raccoons and it does get scattered around, but the application, you know, it's a very confined area and, and uh, a very small amount of uh, the pesticide was found in the soil. But, but baiting deer is a bad thing in the DEC's book. Uh, one, it's, you know, cheating if you're a hunter and sure. No, baiting. I can understand the point with of not baiting deer for hunting, but but also it's about the spreading disease. If you bait deer, you can help. You can spread. I've forgotten the names of the various diseases that that are infectious. Oh, I see. Birds. I see. But uh, uh, I can think of the fish disease, whirling disease. But now I can't think of the uh, deer disease. There's a couple of them that, if they're congregating together and feeding together on mass out of the same bowl, there's this concern you're gonna you're gonna spread. Uh, it's it's similar to mad cow disease, but it's what what deer get. And sorry, there's one called chronic wasting disease. Is that the one you're thinking of? Yes, that is the big one that I'm trying to remember. And you know, they also apparently get COVID. Oh, uh, yeah, I saw something about that. And you know, to your point about bait stations, there's a people recommending right now that you take down your bird feeders because there is avian flu going around. So if birds are congregating at your bird feeders in a way that they normally wouldn't congregate, they're going to spread the avian flu more readily. So it's the same principle with a deer, I guess, but we have to make a balance between the threat to human health and the threat to deer health. Yeah. That's, that's what's missing in a lot of the debates over the four poster. I will say that mostly the four poster doesn't exist for most people. Most people don't know a thing about it. And, and until 
even though there was what was a huge political uproar that Governor Pataki at the time uh, was involved in and ex-governor or, or former governor Hugh Carey, who lived on Shelter Island, got on Pataki's case to say, tell your DEC to let Shelter Island test four posters. Mm. They deployed 60. And the bottom line, you know, scientists don't say it in their study, but uh, uh, smart people who read the long-term study after, I think it was a three, maybe it was a five-year program. It was several years. After that, they, they collected the data or they'd been collecting the data through the whole thing. The, the data basically showed that uh, the four posters were something like 95% effective at eliminating ticks. So I remember the head of the deer and tick committee on Shelter Island who had pushed for this study um, basically said at a town meeting, you know, we've eliminated ticks on Shelter Island. Yeah. Now, the latest thing that uh, is a problem for North Haven is the DEC uh, about Ch a year and a half. Changed the rules, right? Changed the rules. And it used to be a number that I don't know. I think it was 150 or 200 feet. Anybody within that limit uh, of a four poster site had to give consent for having it in the neighborhood. The DEC unilaterally and without explanation, um, at least publicly that I ever saw, um, changed that to 745 feet, which is a big stretch in, a, in an area like North Haven where, where most of these things are pretty close to residential development. Right. And uh, all it takes is people not to answer the village's little letter saying, hey, would you let us do this? And then they're supposed to sign it and send it back. Somebody just never gets around to it or doesn't even know about it or leaves it in a pile. That's the end of that four poster. So the village's number of four posters in one year, this was last year, dropped from 17 to three. And I can tell you, uh, I hadn't been seeing ticks around my, I live in a brushy wooded area. I have a dog. I used to bring home ticks all the time with the dog. Um, and as you've all heard me moan and groan, I've, I've had Lyme disease. It must be 10 times. I've had ehrlichiosis, babesiosis. I've had, uh, the Paul, Bell's palsy. Uh, it's like, oh God. Whoa, this is a, this is a bad thing. And uh, I think there's still some long-term effects, like a lot of arthritis issues that I, both my wife, all, my wife and I both had a lot of Lyme disease and she and I both have a lot of arthritis issues. Me memory, We're, memory issues too. At, uh, and that they say that, right? I forgot they said that. Oh yeah. Um, and uh, so uh, all of a sudden it goes down to three units and I started seeing ticks in my neighborhood again. I had yeah. a four post in the woods right across the street and it was a godsend. And um, uh, we spray our yard so someone could say, well, spraying your yard is why your dog didn't get any ticks anymore. No, because you walk the dog around the neighborhood and he used to always come home with ticks on him. It just stopped. It just stopped. We didn't have ticks. And last year when it fell down to three, all of a sudden we're picking ticks off ourselves and the dog again. Not like it was 10 years ago, uh, but definitely suddenly a change. Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel, be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com 27 Speaks brought to you by Sag Harbor Books and Southampton Books, independent bookstores located in the villages at 7 Main Street in Sag Harbor and 16 Hampton Road in Southampton, carrying a wide selection of new books, stationery, toys, games, first editions, and rare books. Their entire inventory is browsable on the website, SouthamptonSagHarborBooks.com. Now hiring booksellers at both locations. The health conditions that are related to the tick-borne diseases are so serious. I feel like 
the 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 debate here. Um, the DEC seems to control the debate on this and, and talks about, you know, well, we can't have baiting, we can't have that. But, but there's, there's a balancing act here between all of that and the health concerns that makes me think that we should be a lot more aggressive and be willing to be, uh, to at least consider some, some more aggressive. This seems like an aggressive strategy that, that isn't all that aggressive. It's a fairly passive strategy. Passive. Um, that, that works. Yeah. That works. That, that yeah. worked. I was surprised, you know, when I left the Shelter Island Reporter and came back to edit the East Hampton Press for you guys. Uh, I was going, okay, now I'm jumping from the land of the four poster where everybody knows what it is. And it's everybody, not everybody loved it. Hunters hated it. Uh, I think there was a, there was a lot of weird political feelings about it in some quarters. Uh, but generally, it was very popular on Shelter Island uh, after it had proved its success. Um, they don't even have the program anymore because of what the DEC did with the 745-foot uh, uh, requirement for consent. Um, it, it disappeared. But when I started editing the East Hampton Press, right after this big story on Shelter Island, hardly anybody even knew what a four-poster was. And the town didn't seem to have the least interest in deploying them. I'm trying to remember, I think there may have been a couple of experiments, but it never caught on as something they really wanted to do. I think that's true in the town of Southampton too. They need a better name for it. Four poster doesn't really, I mean, it's marketing, right? I mean, you gotta market it a little bit, call it a tick killer, call it, you know, something. Well, that's, it's- it, The eliminator. It, it evolved from a uh, USDA study that uh, a couple of USDA uh, Department of Agriculture scientists uh, developed this working for the USDA, but they got to keep the patent for it, if I remember the story correctly. And uh, they worked with Archer Daniels Midland. Is that the name of the company? Um, Archer Midland Archer Daniels Midland, yeah. Uh, to produce these things, which aren't technically complicated at all. They're just molded plastic. Um, and, uh, they deployed them, they were developed to try to control, uh, babesiosis. It was breaking out in cattle herds on the border with Mexico. And, uh, they thought they were picking up these ticks across, you know, how do you treat cattle? They, they were actually, I think, in a place where they could range across the border. Uh, and, uh, you know, long before Trump's wall or, whoever's wall was there or is there or maybe isn't there. And uh, they found it very effective. So Archer Midland Daniels starts making them, but they're just one little thing in their array of products. Um, it's a huge conglomerate. When you look up four posters, you get these sort of weird little yeah. drippy websites that are very technical looking. It's definitely not something that blows up in your face when you when you hit it because nobody's looking for them and uh and and you're right so i i don't know how you i, I think there's a problem with marketing them because um i'm just curious too pete is there any sort of hesitation in the community because it involves feeding deer i wondered about that that people people are so anti-deer in some of these communities that just the idea of feeding deer might might be part of applying pesticide or tickets you know the pesticide i I think the pesticide is the bigger problem for people when if they don't know a lot and just sort of get the general idea they're going to oh no another pesticide we're going to introduce this environment uh that was the big resistance on shelter island you remember bill smith fish unlimited uh yeah uh he was a huge opponent of the four poster and adamant that it was a terrible disaster environmentally. And he, he would point out that the concentration of permethrin in the four poster solution is definitely much higher than the concentration of permethrin in what people are spraying in their yards. So he would say it doesn't really mean that they're getting that much permethrin just because they're spraying every frigging thing in sight around mm. people's properties. Uh, I question that. Okay, it's a low concentration, but there's so much being applied every month. This, this was pinpoint targeting of, of the uh, solution 
to the deer itself. It's not spread around the environment at all. And a misted spray is going to be what drifts into a water body and harm the fish. It's not going to be permethrin put directly on a roller, put directly on a deer's ear. Exactly. Exactly. So the mystery, as, as you guys are saying, is why hasn't this thing caught on? I think a big part of the problem is the DEC's resistance. You tell me, I, was, I meant to ask you, you guys, you know, I'm just a stringer for you now, so I, I'm not really exposed like I used to be to the big picture. But uh, my impression of the DEC is that it has changed since my days there at the press. When you could call up a DEC guy and get somebody to talk to you about something. You know what's going to be interesting? That may change with uh, Andrew Cuomo. Without Cuomo. Yeah, because there's no question that during the Cuomo years, uh, all of state government clamped down. Nobody could speak without permission from the governor's office. And I mean, they would tell us that. That that was clearly what was going on. And that trickled down, by the way, even to like, the state health system that Stony Brook was a part of, that there was a, a great fear about, you know, repercussions from, from the governor's office if people spoke out of the turn. So uh, I think the DC has been much less willing to engage. I think there's exceptions and we've had people in the DC we've yeah. been able to talk with over the years and, and uh, it'll be interesting to see if that loosens up a little bit though, because I, I, you know, you're absolutely right. I think it's a different department than it was, 15 years ago. Yeah. And yeah. And, and, you know, you might get, uh, you know, I, I, there's a guy, Bill, is Bill Fonda still there? Uh, public that, was the only, that was the only name I ever knew at the DEC. That's yeah, the only name was- I had. And, and all of a sudden he started just issuing these little uh, bland uh, three paragraph statements in, re- in response to your complex question about why is this and why is that? And, and, and so I've never gotten anywhere trying to find out why the DEC just all of a sudden change the distance on the four poster. So is there any, is, I wonder if there's any discussion, like, so once these systems are in place and the ticks drop, you know, can you, is there ever a scenario where you can cut down on the number of four posters once the ticks no. are, you can't. So you always have to deploy the maximum number that you can in an area. And I think that's partly getting to why there is a, a reluctance of some communities to get into this. It's high maintenance. You have to keep them clean. Yeah. You have to keep them working correctly. You have to recharge them. Uh, uh, you uh, have to uh, spend the money for the corn. Um, and you have to have a designated person who's got the license to manage these things. So it was a big deal for North Haven to do it. I was kind of surprised. But through the whole thing up until recently, the mayor. Uh, he, he, when this would come up at a meeting, he'd kind of mutter, you know, I don't know if this is so effective. I don't know if this makes sense. I think it'd be better to just kill all the deer. And you, number one, you can't kill all the deer. Kill all the deer is, is always the way, is always the strategy that I think, I, why are we doing this? Let's just kill all the deer. Well, on, on a place like Shelter Island, can't you just have, you know, everybody leaves the island one weekend. <laughs> Exactly. You'll let the hunters come in. There's no crossfire concerns. Just let them go in yep. everybody's backyards. There'll be no yeah, more deer by the end of the You're not the first person to suggest that. That was always a thing. I mean, that's the problem is like, you know, we've only seen North Haven get more and more densely developed or more, more cordoned off with fencing and neighbors. So like even the kind of hunt you could have done 20 years ago is impossible now because of the number of neighbors that you have within the vicinity of a hunt. Can we just point out to, can, can I point out that East Hampton you know, not long ago, deployed people in you know, emergency room veterinarians into the field to, to uh, what's the term, to, ne- Ster- to neuter, sterilize. to sterilize deer yeah. in an effort to try and drive. I mean, that's a, that was, a, that was a, so over the top as far as, you know, a, a Rube Goldberg way of trying to get rid of the ticks. This seems so much more direct and, and effective, I, but, you know. And, and there's still a deer call on, in, in North Haven, right, Pete? Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. There is. It's very effective. It's in there's a declining level of effectiveness, but that's because it's being successful, reducing the number of deer. So it's harder to find them. Um, and uh, uh, you, you have to have deer for the four posters to work. Um, 
And also, I think it's a, it's understood by people who uh, work on this problem that you just can't eliminate right. all the deer. You're never going to get them all. And, and the more you get, the faster they reproduce, the more fawns they have. You're just never going to get rid of all the deer. So a combined strategy makes a good point. But back to the immunocontraception issue, I think that's similar to the four-poster issue, that there's probably a big resistance to doing it in large expanse areas. <clears throat> you, know, north, you know, every place in North, you know, East Hampton for somebody from the big city is, is an isolated remote place, but uh, it really isn't. If you, you and I know that there's long trails, there's all kinds of places you can wander and go. There's open space interconnected. You put some four posters in one area, what it's a drop yeah. in the bucket. So I think, I think North Haven is unique uh, it, because it is an, a fairly isolated ecosystem or, or protected ecosystem, just like Shelter Island. And, and that may be why it's, it's a perfect place for this uh, device. And it may be why, you know, they don't think of deploying them along the edges of the Shinnecock Golf Club or uh, uh, town uh, parks or town properties. Okay, you'll, you'll greatly reduce the tick population right in that area. But what about three miles away uh, and there's no impact? So... I don't know if anybody studied that or figured it out, but um, I, I think uh, it's it it gives politicians who are, have to make decisions about how to spend money a great deal of pause about getting involved in this program. I think that's one of the big problems is you, there's not a lot of um, data to support either way. You know, when when Bill Smith comes and says that the permethrin is hurting the environment, there's no numbers to say, well, look, it's really not. You know, I feel like that's the problem is because the the um, pilot programs have sort of been on Shelter Island and to an extent in North Haven, there just isn't the data to kind of prove or disprove these arguments. Right, right. It, it, they're all very uh, limited in their impact. These, you know, what North Haven has done and, and what Shelter Island did with that big study, it cost a lot of money and the state and county uh, funded it. Um, it got no press outside of the Shelter Island reporter. And uh, I mean, I don't think, you guys, you know, I can understand why you wouldn't cover it. It's not your town. It's not happening in your town. Um, I used to, even while I was working at the reporter, I used to write for the Long Island section of the, of the times. And I think they let me do a piece on it and it, it just, it had no impact. It was uh, kind of, Oh, okay. And then uh, a month later, nobody knows what a four poster is again. Um, so Maybe, maybe its impact is, is just, uh, maybe the, the maintenance issues and the overhead are, are just too much for most people. And this resistance from the DEC isn't helping. Now, to have to get everybody within 745 feet of a unit to, to give positive consent uh, is a tough road to hoe. But, but the, village, the, the village isn't taking that sitting down, right? I mean, they came up with a plan to make it easier for- That's right residents to, to consent through electronically, yes. uh, you know, web, website, email type stuff, yeah, right? The uh, trustee Terry Diaz kind of set up a system of notifications for everybody in the village. And uh, uh, she's using that system to uh, send a digital form to everybody saying, please just sign this. Uh, here's what we're doing. Here's how it works. We need your consent. And I think it has succeeded in upping the number of four posters they're able to put out. Last I checked, which was uh, probably six or seven weeks ago, they were up to eight. And she was hoping to get back up to 17 or 18 by maybe the end of this year. We'll see. We'll see. There's something else uh, that any homeowner can do, and they don't need DEC approval. And it also contains permethrin. And that's a tick tube. And these are things that are for sale, but they're actually pretty easy to make. All you need is a toilet paper roll and just some cotton balls. Um, 
you take the cotton balls, you treat them with permethrin, which anyone could buy. I have some permethrin in my house right now. I'm going to use it to treat my pants that I garden with. And the mice come in, they take the cotton balls out of the tick tube. They put that cotton ball into their nest. And now every time those mice and their offspring come into the nest, they're rubbing on permethrin. And now all of those nymph ticks die. They don't get mm. a chance to go to their next stage of life where they attach themselves to a large mammal like a human or a deer because you're taking care of it right away by taking care of it on the mice. You may not think that you have mice in your property, but you know what? You probably do. And some people think, well, I'll put out traps, I'll kill the mice, and then that will take care of the ticks. The same way as we think, well, if we take care of the deer, we'll take care of the ticks. However, mice are territorial. If you kill one mouse on your property, another mouse is just going to move in. So here's what you do instead. You have one mouse on your property, you keep that mouse on your property. You keep that mouse covered in permethrin to keep killing ticks. That mouse keeps other mice from coming into your property because they're territorial. And you just have a tick killing factory in your backyard. Yeah. So Brendan, where do you suggest putting the tubes if you do make them? Like do you put them inside your house in your no. basement? I mean, if you have mice in your basement, like, like yeah, well, one person on this podcast might, um, you know, you could do that. But I, you know, most people, if things are going well, don't have mice in their basement, right? I'm going to put them behind my shed because I know that the mice like to rummage around like near where my compost pile is and around the wood pile. So I'd say a wood pile is a good place for that. Anywhere where mice might live, put it along the borders of fences where mice tend to follow borders. So that would be a good place for the mice to find it. And then, you know, check it a week later, see if it needs to be refilled with new cotton balls. So, you know, it's interesting. I, I forwarded right before we started this podcast, a story that I had found that came out of, uh, I think the Boston, the Boston papers probably wrote about it, but this, uh, these scientists out of MIT who have genetically modified these mice to be um, basically um, uh, not be able to catch Lyme disease. And they want to dump hundreds of thousands of these mice onto Nantucket. Um, to see if they can eventually maybe interbreed with the mice that are already there and basically make Lyme disease a thing of the past. I mean, of course, it doesn't do anything about getting rid of the mice population, but I don't know. What do we think of that idea? Genetically engineered mice who are going to eradicate Lyme disease on Nantucket. Similar things are being done with mosquitoes, but with the mosquitoes, it would make it so you release these genetically modified mosquitoes. And then in a couple generations, the offspring can't breed and then you just reduce the mosquito population. So this is the future. I, 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 the four poster thing seems like a better strategy to me. I don't know. I, I, I feel, I mean, maybe none of this stuff should be ruled out. And, and I think your idea, Brendan, with the, the mice and the cotton balls is a great one. Um, I don't think any of that stuff should be ruled out. But the four poster just uh, part of part of what I just find baffling about all this is it's just so commonsensical. And and seems yeah. like like an effective solution that that doesn't require gene splicing and things like that to which which I think you don't you don't like the idea of mutant mice. Well, huh? the unintended consequences that come from that kind of thing. Oh, I know we're we're picturing these giant mice escaping Nantucket <laughs> right. and swimming. Could you imagine them swarming Montauk Lighthouse? These like you know radiated mice who could have come and invade right. from across the way. Yeah, I do think there is a public resistance to that concept of genetically altered uh, creatures. Not not among, Anybody. not everybody, but there's a bunch of people that are going to freak out at the idea. And uh, uh, I think it's, a, it's politically difficult. I wonder how far, yeah, it'll be interesting to follow that because I think at this point, they're still trying to get permission from the Nantucket authorities to be allowed to do this, but... But hey, it's a really great place. We can sit here in our little uh, our little uh, abode, you know, thirty miles away or whatever it is, and uh, we'll see how that goes um, without actually having to be involved. They tried four posters there, and I think they do now have a four poster program. When they first started it, I flew out there uh, and uh, interviewed the guy that was doing it for the Barnes. I think it was the Barnstable County Cooperative Extension because it was based in Hyannis. And he had some units on, on the vineyard and Nantucket. And he also had units around Hyannis. And uh, 
uh, I must say, to my eye, it looked like a real sloppy operation. I mean, they were there, they mm. were empty. We'd go to one of his four posters and it would be empty. And I go, oh, I haven't been out here for a week. So, and I go, well, if they haven't been out here for a week and the deer learn not to go to that four poster, it's going to take a, a while to get them to start going back to it. Um, uh, they were dirty. There were holes in them, you know, that raccoons had gnawed through to get to the corn, which they've modified these things to try to prevent now with uh, metal shields and things like that. So it's much less likely to happen. But if it's, if it's maintained poorly, and not consistently, and uh, the deer stop using it, and um, uh, it's ineffective. And his numbers showed, uh, you know, as wonderful as all the numbers we've been talking about are, his numbers were terrible. I don't remember what they were, but it was like, okay, there's a little bit of a reduction, but there's still plenty of ticks around. These don't work. I say they don't work because mm-hmm. you're not keeping them functional. Right. Who hires the people that maintain these units? Well, and who are these people? In North, Chris Miller is a great guy, easy to talk to, very straightforward. He's a horticulturalist. He, he has his own business. And as a, as a gig, he's, he's hired by the village of North Haven to manage these things. I don't know who was doing it on Shelter Island. I, I believe at least a while ago, there was somebody in the highway department who got I think you're right. That's what I remember. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you got you to gotta pay somebody to do all this. So is there any worry that the four posters alter the deer's natural behavior because you're luring them in to be fed? That's a great, uh, that was a big issue before uh, they deployed their big experiment on Shelter Island. You're going to attract these huge mobs of deer and they're going to uh, just constantly, you know, stuff themselves on this, Corn, which to them is like a high carb candy. I mean, you know, there's nothing like it in their natural diet uh, in terms of the carb load. And uh, it just isn't the way it works. They, I remember these scientists telling everybody, deer don't want to sit around and eat this stuff. They'll have a nibble and then they wander away. It's not their thing. They, uh, they are drawn to it, but not en masse all at once. I, I had one across the street, as I said, and so I could observe what the deal was. And and you never had more than two or three deer at a time in the area. And you'd never see one of them at the four poster. I don't know when they were sneaking corn, but but it's not like they just hung around for dear life. I've got to stay by my corn. So, so corn, is, corn is not deer crack is what you're saying. Exactly. They're not getting exactly right. Very cleverly put. Um <laughs> Crack corn. Crack corn. That's what it is. It's crack crack corn. (laughs) I don't care. Oh, that's very funny. So that that was a big issue, you know, uh, uh, that people were worried about, that it would change behavior. And of course, there was a, a, Fred Thiel, I think, put through, got through the assembly in the legislature a, a law a long time ago to ban the feeding of deer anywhere within a certain distance of a state highway. I think some of these four posters were within that distance. And so that was another thing that, you know, bothered the DEC were, you know, contravening the rules. But, but the idea that deer are migrating across the state highway to come to the four poster, it just, I don't think so. They, they, they wander around, they have a route anyway. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't think the four posters change that uh, pattern of wandering, looking and browsing. That's what their instinct is. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And eating all the foliage that they've largely decimated. So, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. I spray with Ropel and it generally works. But if they're really hungry and there's not, a, a, not much else around, they don't care about the stink of Ropel. They'll eat it if they need to eat it. Mm-hmm. So, Brendan, I, I'm curious in an ecosystem kind of a sense, if we had a method to just completely eliminate ticks, gone, all the ticks are gone, would there be, is that necessarily a good thing or, or is there a possibility of unintended consequences there since they're part of a food chain and all of that? Well, 
I'll tell you this, the Lone Star Tick, the one that carries the red meat allergy, alpha-gal, is not native to Long Island or the East End. So to remove it would not have a negative effect on the food chain. I'm not entirely sure offhand if dog ticks and deer ticks are considered natives or not, because I remember those being around forever. They were something we were very aware of as a child. And when you're a Cub Scout on Long Island, they teach you what to do to not get ticks on yourself. They teach you to check yourself when you get home. And we did find ticks. It was pretty routine to find ticks when I was growing up. And it wasn't until I was like a teenager that I started to get Lone Star ticks with the white dots on their backs. And the reason why they were slow to come was because they're from the South and they've been expanding their range uh, due to human intervention, which helps all sorts of animals and pests uh, spread their range and also through climate change because they're not being killed over the winter. You need to have like 10 degrees Fahrenheit consistently to kill ticks over the winter. And it's just not happening anymore because we don't get that cold anymore. Yeah. So we could do with a few less ticks. That's what we're saying. Yeah. And I will say in regards to the spraying, you know, permethrin is a miticide. It's what people use uh, to kill lice. Yeah. Uh, and then a lot of these companies will come out and say, we're going to come here and we are an organic company and we're going to spray for ticks and mosquitoes. The problem with organic pesticides is organic pesticides are still pesticides. So somebody might come out and say, I'm going to kill the grubs in your lawn. And what they don't tell you is they're also killing the earthworms in your lawn. And they might say, I'm going to kill the ants in your lawn, but they're also going to kill predatory insects. And those predatory insects eat pest insects. If you are doing a spray that is killing the predatory insects as it kills the pest insects, well, guess what? The pest insects come back in population pretty quickly. The predatory insects, they don't. That's how you throw off the ecosystem when you just go in and kill everything. There's a system called integrated pest management where you do the most targeted and the least impactful method first before you would reach for any kind of insecticide, whether it is synthetic or organic. So one of the things I like about permethrin is it targets ticks. It is not a broad spectrum pesticide. Ticks, mites, lice. That's what you're killing with permethrin. You're not going to kill every other insect there is. That being said, if you do use permethrin to spray on your clothes, which is great because you could wash your jeans six times and still have permethrin on your jeans that will kill ticks. That's why it's so great. However, don't take those jeans and throw them in the corner and have your cat lay on them because permethrin is toxic to cats. So before you just start using something, know what it is, but don't think that if a company comes to you and says, these are all organic, they won't harm your family, that they won't harm the environment. Mm. So how do you um, put the permethrin on your, on your clothing? Is it just, do you, do you spray it like in a spray bottle or do you wipe it with a cloth or something like that? The, the bottle I have, mm. uh, it comes in a spray bottle mm. and I haven't applied it yet. Cause I, I bought this off the internet over the winter before I needed to use it. So uh, now that I'm getting out there and gardening, I'm going to pick a pair of jeans and I'm going to say, those are my gardening jeans. And I'm going to, you know, take my hiking boots um, and I'm going to spray those. And, you know, I could always, you know, stop washing my jeans <laughs> uh, every time I go out into the garden. So that way those six washes can last me all season if I need them to. Um, but yeah, you just spray it on like you would spray a Windex bottle. And I think one of the big things I've heard is that you do have to let it dry first. You wouldn't just like spray yourself and go out wet. Yeah. Cool. Maybe I think we need to have an express news group, um, tube making seminar where we, everybody comes and we get the, we, we actually help people assemble these tick tubes and we'll have our own po four, four poster system. And it'll be very grassy. Oh, that's yeah. an idea. A really good idea. And you know what, Annette, you could actually buy pre-treated clothes. Yes, I know. I have friends that have them. Um, yeah, but I'm yeah. reluctant to hike with them because like, the friends that have it, they, they've never washed them because they don't want the permethrin to go off. So I'm like, have, have you ever washed those? Like, no, I've had them eight years. Never washed them. <laughs> Great. You don't need to wash your outerwear. Well, I don't know. Nothing about, well. well, you see the people that get the white 
zip up jumpsuits. It looks like the suit you would use if you were like, you know, spray painting a house or something, but they use them for ticks, which is pretty clever because when your clothes are white, you could actually see them. And that, you know, that's a Boy Scout trick too. You wear long white socks. You don't wear ankle length black socks when you go hiking. So there you have it. Tune into to our show for all the tick tips that you could possibly need. I have more. I could keep going. <laughs> Save them, Brendan. This could be a, we could do this for uh, Memorial Day. Let's Just talk. talk about tips. It's TikTok. TikTok. <laughs> Love it. Let's have a TikTok. Thank you, Pete. Thank you, Pete, for taking the time out to do this. Yeah, wow. this was fun. Let's get you on again. Oh, you bet. Twenty Seven Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27east.com, and sagharborexpress.com. Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.